Good morning, everybody. <laughs> Took a big, deep breath to pause there. Live stream, what's up? We miss you. We love you. If you're watching with us, drop a comment so we know who's here. Um, hope you guys are doing good today. It was a weird vibe in here this morning with all of us. I'm not sure how to define the mood, to be honest, but it's going to be good. So we're going to jump right on in this beautiful Sunday morning. If you go ahead and stand with us, we're going to read our lectionary passage from Psalm. God, you are my God. I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there's no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands and call on your name. My soul is satisfied as with a rich feast, and my mouth praises you with joyful lips. When I think of you on my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. So Jesus, this morning we rest in that that it's your right hand that is holding us steady. Wherever we came in today, whether it be full of energy and joy for a new week or kind of just like weariness and exhaustion from a long last week, just pray that you would meet us today. We just settle in. We turn our attention on you. We set down all the other things that we walked in with. And we turn our eyes on Jesus today. Thank you, God, for being faithful. Thank you that you value this space just as much as you value time with me alone in my car or in prayer at home. Thank you, God, for speaking to us as a body today. We love you, Jesus, and it's in your name we pray. We're going to do a slight pivot. <laughs> Um, typically, Prayers of the People comes after the last song. And um, I feel like God's saying, like, maybe not this week. And I feel like he's saying, like, he wants to pray for the people in this room. And what we know at River City and what we believe in is that if you are struggling to see God's faithfulness in your life, that you have a place here and we want to surround you. And we want to be able to stand in the gap where you feel like you can't say that or you've forgotten of the way that God is chasing after you with his goodness and his promises. And so if you are sitting there and you're like, I don't, I can sing that, but I don't feel it or I don't believe it or this just feels really weary. Somebody this morning, I won't say their name, I won't put them on blast, but said that they were finally feeling like they were starting to feel that like COVID grief was like the worst if that's you and I believe that there is people in this room that want to be able to sing that song with a confidence that they cannot sing right now what I feel like is true is that God wants to bless you with faith to believe that that's who he is and also the reminder that there are people standing literally next to you that want to carry you and hold you and walk with you like the arms of Jesus want and so 
If you were willing to raise your hand and say, that's me, I long to see that and to believe that and I have forgotten, or I feel like God has forgotten me. Maybe that's true about God, but I'm not sure where he's doing that in my life because I feel run down and weary and I don't feel like his promises are true in my life right now, or I feel alone and I feel like I'm exalting that by myself and you need a reminder that there is community around you saying you are not alone. You're not feeling this alone. You're not in this alone. And you are not called to be alone. So would you be willing to raise your hand that we might say in agreement and partner with the spirit that we see you, we love you, and we want to be with you. The higher you raise it, the more people get to see you and partner with you. So if your hand is raised, raise it. There's no shame. There's no shame and there's no condemnation in the kingdom of God. So if you are in this room and you're someone who feels like you can recall with confidence and with boldness the ways that God has been faithful and true in your life right now, the people who are raising their hands are saying, I need you. That's the beauty of the body of Christ is that my faith gets to be a testimony to somebody else when they don't feel like they have any. And there will come a season where those people raising their hands right now will get to stand in the gap for somebody else and another season whose hand is raised. So if your hand was just raised, I ask you to raise it again. And if you're standing around somebody, and even if you're not, and you need to move your bodies, move your bodies to surround the people whose hands are raised. What we know is true is that God says that his yoke is light, that his burden is light. And he wants to call you into a season of resting with him. He wants to remind you that you are not in this by yourself. He sees you, he loves you, he is for you. So as the body pray, Lift up your voice and pray and declare the truth of who God is.
So God, we just lift up your children. You see them and you know them and you are closer than the air that they breathe. And I ask for an, an extra measure of faith for those who feel like all they have are questions and uncertainties. God, would you in a supernatural way bless them with faith? May they feel the faith of those around them holding them up. God, I thank you that you will stop at nothing to let them know that you are for them and you are with them. You are faithful and you are true. It is so lovely to have you here today. So I, I'm gonna introduce um, Jonathan in a second. Just a quick recap for you. This is the last time you're going to hear us talking about the We All Go Together five-part deal. Some of you are probably like, that's great. I'm super glad to move on from this. Some practical stuff. But over the past six weeks, maybe seven, you've heard us ask the body to step into these. So this series of things was not to entice you and make you think deeply theologically. This was a simple invitation into things that make a body healthy, things that make people actually more connected and able to walk together. And we all, we kind of flows in this way, spiritual formation, kind of everything comes out of that, a culture of discipleship and formation. Being present, that's like one of those really simple but profound things, prayer, serving, and today giving. And so you're not going to hear us really jump more into this after this week, but today after we, after we stop, we're going to ask you to select one of these areas that you, you feel the strongest invitation for. And so if you felt God speaking clearly about one, we're going to ask you to pray with a group of people, which is going to be awkward for some of you. That's okay. Awkwardness is not a terrible thing, um, but it is for some people, I understand. So we'll pray for that before we have you pray in it. And so today, though, I get to in introduce a friend of mine who's actually been a part of our church for a few years now, and um, I, I don't want to share too much about this, but the way that we know uh, the Godbys is a few years ago, a church was being, I don't know what it's called when a city takes over a, a piece of land, and eminent, no, that's what it is, yes, and they were part of a community that was meeting over there, and um, the, it's now the, it, the high school's uh, maybe... I'm not helpful today at all. Um, the city took it over, but it's like a really state-of-the-art building for a certain type of schooling. Not IB, but it's STEM. STEM. It's STEM. Yeah, so that's what it is. Anyway, um, so he knocked on our door one day and said, hey, there's people that are about to be displaced, and that's not okay. And that's, that was our introduction to meeting the Godbys. And since then, he brought a bus with him. And they would, before the pandemic, we would actually take a bus around to anyone who could not get to church and pick up people to get to church. And then that was kind of, so, so what I would like to share with you is I know these things about Jonathan and Caroline and Anna because, and Anna really loves it when you talk about her in front of people. <laughs> She hates me right now so bad. Um, I know this because we do community together. 
We literally are weekly walking together. And that's the fruit of that kind of relationship. I know a lot of things about the Godbys, and I've been in their home, and we've prayed together, and I've sent SOS texts to help pray for stuff. And so I just want to say thank you to your family, first off, for how well you love this body. And I would say that to all of you. Um, and just the kind of people you are are the kind of people that I want my kids to see. Because um, you, you live out what you believe. And you speak it with how you live your life a lot stronger than you speak it with almost funny jokes. So <laughs> bad idea before you hand the mic over. So ladies and gentlemen, Jonathan Gobby. <laughs> All right, so my, my father started every sermon he ever preached with these two psalms, and the son can only do what the, he sees the father doing, right? So I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in my sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. So I have to start with a disclaimer. I met with Josh on Tuesday so he could approve what I was gonna say, and he had just come from a dental procedure um, he was in a lot of pain. He had no idea what I was saying. He's kind of, oh, yeah, that's all right. That's all right. And just like, he wanted me to just get out of there. So anyway, for the new people, please come back next week when you can hear a real preacher. Of course, you had a little bit of a sample of that with Kara earlier today. So you've already had one good sermon, and that's going to be your limit. Um, so anyway, um, I don't know who's going to be more nervous this morning, Josh or me. Uh, Caroline asked me if I got nervous speaking anymore because I teach at Georgia State. I'm like, well, not until you said that, I didn't, but now. <laughs> so I've also realized I should print my notes out in a larger font, so we'll see how that goes. All right. So normally Josh quotes you know, these leading Christian intellectuals who are really famous. I don't even know who they are. And I'm going to quote Run DMC, Hank Williams Jr., <laughs> Guns N' Roses, and the Cokesbury Hymnal. So... At least it's gonna be different, right? But language and money are the two most important tools we have as humans, and trust is the most valuable commodity that we have. Um, money is a high trust topic, and I realize I haven't earned everyone's trust on this, uh, but I'm gonna be telling you personal stories, and hopefully that can earn a little bit of your trust. Um, so anyway, here we go. I wanna start with one of my favorite scenes in the Bible. This is John chapter 21. Uh, Peter has already denied Jesus when Jesus needed him most. And Jesus, rather than meeting him with condemnation, said to John, or to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter replied, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. And Jesus asked again, do you love me? And Peter said, yes. And Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And Jesus asked again, Peter, do you love me? And uh, Peter said, yes. And Jesus said, take care of my flock. Feed my sheep. See, I'm already off. Have you ever wondered why Jesus calls us sheep? I have a 15-second video that's going to explain in detail exactly why Jesus calls us sheep. So if you're gonna take care of sheep, you need really, really good tools, right? 
Money is that tool. Money is not bad or evil. It's a tool. My grandparents raised four daughters in the Great Depression and World War II. There's my granddad. My grandparents worked really hard. My grandfather could plow a field from dusk to dawn, and he needed to. He did it alone because none of his four daughters were good farmhands. And if you repeat that to my two aunts, then I will give you the opportunity to turn the other cheek. Um, but what he could do, they made most of the stuff that they used, but what he, they couldn't make, they traded for little green pieces of paper like this one. And this is a 1935 silver certificate in its current condition. And my dad saved this in our safe deposit box for years. In its current condition, this is worth approximately $1. So, hence I still go to work every day. But what he could do, he took the crops that he produced and he went and he traded them for green pieces of paper just like this. Then he could store these green pieces of paper and later he could trade those pieces of paper for things that he needed that he couldn't produce. He traded those pieces of paper for an education, for college education for my mother and her three sisters. So he could take the work he did that day move it across time and space and use it someplace else. That's a really fantastic tool, right? John Wesley said, and I'm not gonna read the quote because it's in 1700 type language, but he basically said, money in the hands of a Christian is food, drink, clothing, shelters, all the things that someone needs to help somebody else in need. So, in this little sermon, I'm gonna model this sermon, which is a Christian word for steal. I'm gonna model this sermon after John Wesley's sermon number 50, the proper use of money. And in that, he said, money is a great tool, and we should gain all we can. That's the dangerous part. It's dangerous to try to gain all the money you can, and now, my Guns and Roses quote. I used to do a little, but a little wouldn't do, so a little got more and more. The song's about heroin addiction, right? But money is the exact same thing. It works on your brain in the exact same way. You get a little, but a little doesn't do. You need a little bit more. I was back home visiting my mom a few years ago, picked up the Saturday morning paper, and the Gadsden Bulldogs, you know, I'm sure Gadsden, Alabama has a suburb. I'm sure you all know this, Gadsden, Alabama. And the, they had just beat Hoax Bluff. And the coach said, it sure felt good to beat those rich kids from across the river. Those rich kids were Hoax Bluff, Alabama, which median income is about two thirds of the median income in Smyrna. They're not rich kids. The kids in Hoax Bluff think the kids at the Gadsden Country Club are rich. When I was in eighth grade, I got invited to the Gadsden Country Club one time. I thought they were the richest people on the planet. The kids there think the Birmingham kids are really rich. The Birmingham and, Mon and Mountain Brook Country Club kids think the Atlanta Country Club kids are rich. It never ends, right? You think the people in Park Avenue are like, man, I wish I was like the people in Buckhead? No matter how much you get, there's always one level up. In 1913, J.P. Morgan died. Um, J.P. Morgan in the bank, J.P. Morgan Chase. J.D. Rockefeller found out that he was only worth $60 million. So in 1913, the guy was only worth $60 million, and Rockefeller said, and to think, he wasn't even a rich man. So it never, ever satisfies. So then, what should we do? Well, Wesley says, look, there are two commandments that all the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your mind. And the second commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. So no matter what you do, you can never violate those two commandments. So when you're seeking to gain more money, you have to be consistent with that, which is really easy for me to say, I don't know what that means. Like if we're trying to do that in real life, what exactly does that mean? Talk to your pastor, Josh Turner, about that. Don't ask me those kinds of questions. <laughs> but I can tell you this, like if, I think it's, a, I had a friend say, well, that means I can't, you know, compete for a job with my neighbor. I think, well, I think we can compete for jobs, we can compete for promotions, we can compete in business, but you better do it fairly. And you better think about, and this is where working out your salvation with fear and trembling, I think really comes into play because it's really hard to tell, well, am I being loving to my neighbor when I do this? One thing I don't think we can do is play what economist, and I had to put in an economist quote, a zero sum game. And that means if I win, you lose. So I don't think we could ever be in positions where I'm gonna try to make myself better off financially, but in order to do that, I have to make you worse off. So I think definitely we can't do that. So chase money, but keep your head about why. When you get it, save all you can. Save all you can is the hard part. God wants us to have nice things. Read Deuteronomy 8. There's a nice list of there, the nice things that God wants us to have. So how do we decide if something, if we can spend our money on something extra? Go back again to John Wesley. I'm ripping off his entire sermon like I told you. He said in John 2:16, he said, as long as you don't violate, as long as you don't buy something to satisfy the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life, then go ahead and buy it. Again, I don't know what that means. I know what it doesn't mean for me. So this, I think, is where it gets even harder than gaining all you can, is thinking if I buy this, should I buy this? So an example, I have props. <laughs> I bought, <clears throat> this shirt in 1986 cost $36. I somehow talked my parents and let me buy this shirt. The reason I wanted that Coke shirt is because if I had it, I would fit in with the other kids who had Coke shirts, and I could look down on the kids who didn't have Coke shirts. It would make me better than them. That's the pride of life, right? Is it for you? I have no idea. I can't, you have to look in the mirror for yourself. Here's some things I should never buy. The bike is a $17,000 bike. I want that bike, but the reason I want that bike is not for exercise or enjoyment. I want that bike so I can go on the Silver Comet Trail. I can look down at all the people who have $3,000 bikes because I have a $17,000 bike. <laughs> I, I rode with a friend who had a $17,000 bike, not a close friend. I don't, for him, maybe it was fine. I can't judge, was he doing that for the pride of life, the lust of the flesh, or the lust of odds? I don't know. Another thing I could never get is that Corvette. Um, again, the same reason I want that Corvette is not because I want a Corvette, but because I want to show off having a Corvette. My life expectancy, if I had a Corvette, would be about a week because <laughs> I can't drive as good as that car can go. The, th the third and the last one here is that $125 million house. I'm saving up for this house. I'm halfway there. I have the 125. If you have the, <laughs> if you have the million part, then we can split 50-50. So 
With this, I don't know, I don't know how to make that decision in real life. That's the thing that matters. By the way, with the Coke shirt, a little bit more detail on that. I wore it one time. Um, and then my arm was burned in a grease fire and it didn't heal until spring and it was too warm to wear the shirt again. So I never ever got to wear it, well, I got it one time and I kept it so I could remember not to make stupid decisions like that again. This shirt costs $3. I bought it unclaimed baggage in Scottsboro, Alabama. So I'm never spending $36 on a shirt again. I said that and then inflation's going up and maybe I'll have to. But. So how did I determine if I'm gonna buy something or not? For me, I turned in my mind to page 89 of the Cokesbury Hymnal, and there's the answer, and the key to a life more abundant and free. And the words say, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So now that you've saved all you can, what do you do? Part three, John Wesley said, give all you can. This is the fun part. Uh, this summer, God directed me to give money to a family that urgently needed it. If I could articulate to you how good that felt, it felt better than spending money on something else. I wish I could just let you know, I'll tell you this much, Huey Lewis never felt that good, because if he did, he wouldn't have had to write a song about needing a new drug. If you're not Gen X, you may not understand that. But. So many of us have been hurt by people in the church. And here's my Hank Williams quote. Now there's some preachers on TV with a suit and a tie and a vest. They want you to send your money to the Lord, but they give you their address, yeah. right? And here I'm going off script a little bit. Uh, so John, Josh is really nervous now. So John chapter 10 tells us the difference between a shepherd and a hireling. Guys like that are hirelings. I grew up around preachers. I spent way much, too much time around them. I learned the difference. And I can tell you that River City Senior Pastor is a shepherd that follows the shepherd. Everything else is just details. So I don't have to worry about the hirelings. I'll let God deal with them. I wanna be around the shepherds. So if I give money to a local church, let me share this story. I'm gonna try to get through this without crying like Josh watching Chosen. Um, yeah. Our Les Mis, our Hamilton, our Door of the Explorer. So a few years after my father died, <clears throat> I took my mother back to a church they had for their annual homecoming service. And if you haven't gone, to a homecoming service at a church in Alabama, you've really missed out. They follow the same pattern. They bring back a retired preacher who preaches a little too long. They have special music. The preacher never mentions gluttony because after the service, you all sit down and eat and eat and eat and eat. So my mom was, you know, really enjoyed being able to spend time with people she hadn't seen in years. And we sat and we talked and we talked and we talked. Well, uh, we didn't talk. I listened and they talked and talked and talked. And then we left. And on the way out, there was a couple waiting for us. <clears throat> and this happened a long time ago. My, I don't have the details perfectly correct, but you're close enough. And the woman said, um, you know, my father knew your father. 
they were great friends. They loved to sit around and eat ice cream together. Your dad officiated my wedding and told me all the stories, made a little joke about our dads are probably sitting in heaven right now eating ice cream looking down on us. And then her face filled with emotion and she said, you'll never know what your dad meant to me. She didn't know, I knew the rest of the story. I don't know this guy's name, I'll call him Joe, I guess. Um, my dad, this was a Methodist church, and Methodist churches back then, you were moved, pastors were moved about every four years. My dad was appointed to that church when she was a child, and as was his custom, my dad went and spoke to the current pastor to kind of get a sense of the flock, you know, who was who and who he needed to go visit. And the pastor said, this guy Joe said he's left the church, he's bitter, he's angry, he's resentful, he's never coming back. Don't waste your time going to visit him you need to spend your time on the 99, don't worry about the one. My dad went straight to visit the guy. Visit him, pray for him, rejection. Reach out to him, pray for him, rejection. Reach out to him, pray for him, rejection. One day, the guy allowed my dad not to pray for him, but to pray with him. And the guy prayed his way back to God and a little girl's life changed. That house that was filled with bitterness, resentment, and anger, was filled with joy, laughter, and ice cream. The change was permanent, the change was dramatic. So much so that decades later, she waited and waited and waited for a church to empty out, a meal to end, to tell a stranger, thank you for what your dad did. And my life changed. My dad didn't do that alone. He had a congregation supporting him. This wasn't a congregation filled with doctors and lawyers and such. This was probably the 1960s. This was working class neighborhood of Birmingham. These were steel workers. These were steel workers who had been redeemed and they knew that they were free and they wanted other people to be free and they knew there was a cost to that. They lived in smaller houses, drove older cars, wore less fashionable clothes, worked more overtime, ate more fried bologna sandwiches and less chicken fried steak because they wanted to make the sacrifices necessary to have a church that could employ a pastor who could be full-time so he could reach out to that lost sheep, so he could have a car that could go visit him again and again and again. Those people never got rich. Giving to get rich is not the promise of scripture. I've been fascinated with money since I was five years old. Maybe that's because we never had any. Maybe it's because the preachers I grew up around never understood how many worked. I don't know, but I do know this, giving builds your faith. When I was in grad school at UGA, I was living off hot dogs and white bread. Money was really, really tight. And I got a call on Saturday from a friend of mine, Robbie. Robbie was going on a mission trip. Um, and I knew this was a fantastic trip. It wasn't like one of these go, I'm gonna go paint the same schoolhouses and paint a hundred times. This was a real trip to a country where it was illegal to be a Christian. This was something that really needed to be done and Robbie asked me for money. Said, sorry dude, I'm in grad school, I don't have any money. Hung up the phone and not in an audible voice, but in a very clear communication, God said, you have $325. I did, I saved it up for a printer and now the 1990s technology is a little hard to explain to people today. There's a, <laughs> It was a different time. James Oglethorpe had just been elected governor. It was really, so anyway, I needed a printer. 
but I knew what I was supposed to do, so I picked the phone back up and said, hey man, what's your address? Send the check for $325. And I don't remember if it was the following Monday or the Monday after that, um, but the Stanford banking game got a glitch in it. The Stanford banking game is now pretty famous if you're taking banking classes in undergrad, which I'm sure none of you have ever heard of it before, but it became a huge success and UGA was beta testing it. The department head was a guy, he was using his class, I was in the guy in charge of you know, doing all the grant work, entering the data, there's a glitch. Call the guy out in California, hey man, it's not working and we need this for tomorrow. He said, well you need to print out this particular document so I can diagnose a problem. So I don't have a printer. He said, well, why don't you have a printer? I said, well, I just started saving up for one actually last week. Um, and he kept grilling me about why I didn't have a printer. And I said, well, this is a printer I want. And he kept going back and forth. I kind of got mad at him. He finally said, look, is there a computer store open? I said, yeah, there's one open. It's about to close, but I don't have any money. He said, do you have a credit card? I said, I have a credit card. I don't have any money. He said, well, if I bought the printer, could you just put on your credit card and I'll pay you back? And that's how I got my first printer. So if you want to convert me to atheism, you missed your chance. But what you need to do is you could write up all the reasons why you don't think I should believe in God, save it to you know, a little floppy disk, FedEx it to me, and I'll print it out, I'll give it a fair reading, but that first paragraph better explain to me why I have a printer and I was able to print it out, all right? And don't use, if you're familiar with Nisan Talib, don't use his arguments from fooled by randomness, they're not gonna work. So now my Run DMC quote. Money is the key to end all of you, I'm not gonna wrap it. <laughs> but, does anyone, I wonder if anybody knows, money is the key to end all your rows, your ups, your downs, your highs, your lows. Won't you tell me last time, love bought your clothes. It's like that, and that's the way it is. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things like clothes, food, food, shelter, will be added unto you. He said, you can serve God or you can serve money. He said, if you love me, you'll follow my commands. So we have to choose. This choice comes down to trust. The greedy voice inside me says, well, if I serve God, well, that, does that mean I'll get more money? And I have to constantly remind myself that's none of my business. It's not my money, it's God's money. How much of God's money is in my checking account is none of my business. My job is a simple one, is to follow Jesus. He, if he directs me to give, and really I shouldn't use the word give, I should use the word transfer. If he directs me to transfer money, then my only response should be to repeat the amount and the recipient's name to make sure I have the directive clear. And then to quote Nick Saban, execute the play. <laughs> I felt like I could do that after this last, you know, if it was December, I wouldn't have done it. I saw someone in Athens um, a few years ago I'm not gonna give any details. I don't want anything about, you know, I want to you know, protect his privacy. Um, he was there doing some work with a small church. He'd flown there on his private jet. He is one of the best followers of Jesus I've ever known. He came from modest means. God bless him abundantly. He handles money better than anybody I've ever met. That's the only story I have of someone serving God and getting rich. I have a legion of stories like this one. 
After my uncle died, a bunch of us were sitting around telling stories about him, and these stories could go on forever because he was a real fun guy. One of the stories about something he did that was particularly generous, and somebody said, yeah, he did stuff like that all the time. I guess that's why he never did have any money. So if we choose to serve God and seek first his kingdom, we probably never will have any money. That's fine. Um, I'm getting to a certain age now where I have more experience. There's some negatives to that. Like Thursday night, I pulled a muscle while I was asleep. <laughs> I was in bed asleep, not bothering anybody, not doing anything, and I woke up like, I think I pulled a muscle. <laughs> but with that experience, you, you, know, you learn a few things. And for me, trusting God with money is no longer a matter of faith, it's a matter of overwhelming empirical evidence. Or as the great preacher Josh Turner once said, there's bread in the boat, right? I've had little, and God has blessed me. As long as, I mean, it's, it's not about seeking more, it's about trusting in him. We sing, all I have needed, thy hand hath provided, grace thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me at my mother's funeral. In life, she's saying, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, countless times. If I serve God and seek first his kingdom, he will provide all that I need. And I won't have financial stress, and I'll do the same thing every night. Go to bed, go to sleep. If I serve money, then I'm on my own. Deuteronomy 8, 17 to 18 is clear. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands has produced this wealth for me. But remember, the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. When I try stuff on my, home, on my own, it doesn't work really well. <clears throat> With my record of success, I'll be really worried about money. I won't be able to go to sleep. And this is the part which I said, ah, I don't know if you'd say this or not. But so if I can't get to sleep, I'm going to have to start drinking. And the hillbilly in me is going to want to start smoking. And those are two expensive habits. I'm not gonna do it in moderation. I don't even know what that means. So I'm gonna be ingesting large amounts of toxins, which means I'm gonna have huge medical bills, which is one of the leading causes of bankruptcy. I can't take that kind of risk. And for the parents of young kids, I can't give that mouse a, cook that mouse a cookie. So Jennifer Gardner and the fine folks at Capital One wanna know what's in your wallet. John Wesley said money in a Christian's wallet are the tools that you're needed to provide food, clothing, shelter, all the things that people need. Jesus has a simple question for all of us. Do you love me? Take care of my sheep. And that's all I have to say about that. Thank you, Jonathan. <laughs> the best. Oh, um, we're going to close with some prayer. And the first one's going to be connected to what Jonathan was saying, which uh, I honestly could listen to you like all day long. It's such a good job. Um, but we're going to ask Jesus to provide healing if you know there's brokenness in that financial area of your life. Now, this is not meant to induce shame. This is actually more about do you feel like you experience a lot of shame in that? And then 
also kind of the prayer like, um, I need help on how to do this. What does a budget look like? Um, there's actually an opportunity through Alex and Jonathan um, over the next few months, if you want a one-off to set up, what, how do I start into this in a way that would actually be helpful? So we're gonna have one group that's for stepping into giving, and that will be Alex and Jonathan, if you guys, and Nancy's gonna be there as well. And then if you want prayer after that, you can have prayer. But that group's gonna pray specifically, I feel God calling me more into this one of the five areas, okay? And you can you guys go ahead and go maybe um, right here to the front of the stage. And the other four areas, real simply, we're gonna, Offer those. If you're a first timer or this feels horrifying, um, Kara is going to be in the middle area. She just has information about the church. You can give her the Heisman on the way out if you need to. Um, just don't hurt her. I just, I'm just saying you're not interested in talking. But the other ones are stepping into spiritual formation. And I'll just say from my heart, if this is not happening in a church or in a life, none of the other stuff really happens. Uh, form it, formed and discipled. And so um, the person we have over this is Micah, I think. And Micah, could you go to the back? Um, I've provided a bodyguard back there. Um, Daniel. Uh, <laughs> next one stepping into presence. And for presence, um, we had, I can't remember who I had. Raise your tell me if, if you were presence and you're in this room. Stepping into presence. Shannon. Shannon, right here. So that's where that one will be. And the presence one is just, I would. I feel like God's asking me to be, and I already know some of you, because as soon as we started preaching this, she started showing up and saying, this was God's sharing with me. I need to be present in the body. Um, so that would be with Shannon right there. And then the next one is prayer, and I'm going to do stepping into prayer. And if you'd like to do that, you can come up here. And I think that's all five. Hmm? Serving, that's a big one. And that's Bill in the back. He's still got his clipboard. He's going to use his word. I still don't remember what the word was because it's from 1910. What's it called? Bailiwick. Don't, don't know what that means. So y'all are back there. There's that, this will be the close. When you're done praying, you're just going to kind of meet the people in that group. Hey, I'm, we're going to pray for this together, stepping into your area. Jesus, uh, I pray that we would see the fruit of this over the next few months, especially going towards Easter. In Jesus' name we pray. You can go now to those areas, and we love you. Thank you again for joining us today, and please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.